All right, good morning, everyone. All right, good to see each of you. So we're going to, uh, oh, by the way, when you, did you guys see the sign out front yeah. on the building, right? So there's finally a sign there. So I, I was going to say I came to church and saw a sign. <laughs> but I thought that might be misunderstood, so I'm not going to say it, okay? So we're going to show you a video real quick, uh, which is kind of prelude to uh, the upcoming VBS. Uh, all the details for that are in the uh, little flyer that you got at the door this morning. So make sure you keep your eye on that. So we're going to show you this video quick. So that is your introduction to Vacation Bible School announcements that will be forthcoming. Uh, it, so for this week, here's what the need is. If you are able to volunteer to help with the Vacation Bible School program, then there is a table out front where you can see either Christina or Sherry Miller, and I think uh, Narissa Diaz is also helping out with that. So if you're interested in volunteering for that, you can start signing up for that this week, and then we'll start registering kids for that the following week. Okay, At the front door today, you should have received a flyer that has announcements on it, so I'm not going to go through all the announcements, but there are new uh, Bible studies that are beginning, and you can see all the details on them. There's a place to sign up for those out by the front door. Okay, one other thing we want to make you aware of is, so we all know that Anna started as our administration assistant back in December when Dave Mercer moved out of the area. Due to a number of circumstances in, in uh, Anna and Dylan's life, one being pregnancy, all right, which is an awesome circumstance to have to work and fight through, okay? Uh, and then also, obviously, the additional care for her mom that has been required of her over the last couple of months, it's just quite consuming, quite, uh, uh, you know, something that's quite saturated their lives with a lot of difficulty. So uh, Anna's going to be relieved of her responsibilities in that capacity just because of the changes. And Christina Naley is going to start serving in that role. So <laughs> grateful to God that in the midst of the change, unseen change in Anna's life that God has provided a path forward for us. So Christina's going to be picking up and helping out and serving in that ministry. So we just wanted you guys 
to be aware of that, okay? I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. We're going to lead us into prayer. As we go into prayer and prepare for our time in worship this morning, we had our baptism service last Sunday, and when uh, Bob Blackwood was baptized and uh, he was in the pool and was asked that question, do you today confess that you were trusting in the shed blood of Christ alone as the basis of your salvation? He didn't give the answer that we thought he was going to give, but he gave an answer that's very beautiful, and that is this, is there any other way? All right? There's nothing else, right? No other way uh, except through Jesus Christ alone. So as we come this morning, uh, our purpose is to proclaim the gospel of Christ. We do that in preaching of the word, and we do that in our season of time and song. So 1 Peter 2.24 says, He carried our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, for it is by his wounds that we are healed. And that is what we aim to proclaim this morning in God's presence. So I want to ask you if you would just uh, pray with me this morning. Father, as we come into your presence, we are only coming boldly because of the work of Jesus Christ. We only come and we only find our forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we sing this morning... I pray that we will be proclaiming that there is no other way than the beautiful way that is found through the work of our Savior, Jesus. So, Lord Jesus, glorify yourself in our midst. Help us as we sing by the Spirit to comprehend truth. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that has never trusted in the name of Jesus Christ alone, I pray that as we are proclaiming in song this morning, I pray that your Spirit would make the truth of the cross that may be known as a fact, make it true to their heart this morning, and may they trust in Jesus Christ alone today. Bless our season of worship. God, glorify yourself through it, and we pray these blessings in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Let's worship him together. thoughts, what joyful thoughts of heaven bring, where righteous ones will worship thee, no sadness, fear, or suffering, but joyful cries to the King of kings, what sacrifice the Father made, to crush the Son who bore our shame, yet raised him up that glorious day. What deep in wounds have saved our souls? What blood that washed our sins of old? What precious hands have ransomed men and brought us to Himself again? What hope 
them on streets of gold and kiss the Christ we long to hold. Oh, praise the Lamb, the sinner slain, who rode with blood our eternal praise. Let the nations of the earth proclaim Let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing. Behold the city of the King. His glory is the air we breathe. Hallelujah. Say that again. Behold the city of the King. Hallelujah. His glory is the air we breathe. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the name of Jesus. Our song forever shall be. Let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing. Oh, praise the name of Jesus, our song forever shall be. Let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing. Christ. 
Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the Christ the Lord upon the tree in the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory see the price of our redemption see the Father's plan unfold bringing many sons to glory grace and
what if hope had never conquered darkness and the stone had not been rolled away but it was it was love that poured into your lifeless lungs it was love that raised you from the grave yeah forgiven i've been set free Savior, praise Him forever. Jesus has overcome. Sing this out. Let's pray. 
Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise, the promise that we can be free. For it was the love of Jesus and what he did on the cross. That's the power, dear Lord, and it can be within us. I pray that, dear Lord. I pray that for each of us this week. I pray it should be with Doug now as he comes before us and he gives us the message. We want to thank you for this time of worship where we can sing and sing praises together as a church family. Dear Lord, this is our family. And I pray it should be with those that aren't able to be here with us today. Um, pray that they're online and they're able to watch and listen. And they know that um, they're in our hearts. Thank you for your love for Jesus as our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Sit down. So I got the pleasure to say good morning. Thanks for coming. Um, we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to start at 18 and we're going to go to the end. Slaves... In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they heard their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's great to have you here. Children can be, I don't know if they've been dismissed, but children can be dismissed for junior church at this time, if you need to do that, uh, ages five to eight years of age. I guess you can fudge if you're nine, but probably shouldn't. All right. If you have your Bibles, Victor, thank you for reading that. And I want to also thank the worship team. Wow, praise the Lord. We are so blessed. Uh, to have people leading us in worship to God. It's, it's ter terrific. So we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 18 to 25 in our time together. But I thought I might start with a couple questions for you. I want you to think back, or maybe not even think back, maybe just look at your current work situation and see if any of these questions kind of have passed your mind. Do I put up with an abusive boss? No matter what, do I say something or stay silent? Because I would like to keep my job. How long should I stay in this situation? 
Is there any other way out? Have you ever had any of those feelings at the workplace? I have. So I look back over working in different scenarios, even in Christian scenarios, institutions through the years. There have been seasons where I would read these kinds of questions and I would say, yeah, I've thought really seriously about those things. How do we handle the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world and we're often in institutional structures, work settings, that are, well, they're less than ideal. In times we feel mistreated, unappreciated, sometimes abused verbally in those settings. Folks, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean, it's, it's just part of our experience and, and it may be what you're going through even right now. But I wanna try to make it even worse, if I could. I mean, you know, let's be upbeat here today. What if you're living in the first century? And at least in our day, you can quit or get fired. But you say, no, I really can't, I need the money. I, I get it, but you have some options, potentially, right? Suppose you're a Christian living in the first century and you're a slave. Can you just quit? Can you say, fine, I'll find another job? You don't even have those options. And Peter, as he writes into the first century to talk about the challenge slaves have in relationship to their masters, it has all kinds of bearings for what we face in our relationship often in employment with employers. So we're gonna make some parallels, but I wanna say this. Typically, our situations aren't nearly as bad. So if they can learn to walk with Christ through their situation, how much more us? Does that make sense? So I want you to kind of track with me as, as, as we work our way through this. Um, I mean, if you're a slave in the first century, you can't call the Equal Opportunity Agency. You know, you can't say, fine, I'm going to sue you. It wasn't an option. They had none of those options in the first century. It was corrupt. So, Peter, what are we supposed to do as slaves in an unideal situation? Or we might say, Peter, what are we supposed to do in the 21st century with an unideal work situation? Okay? Because what he says to them has all kinds of ramifications for us. All right, Peter, we need some really good advice on this one. And Peter says, all right, here it comes. So look at what he says. Verse 18, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Folks, I wasn't looking for that advice. I wanted revolution. I wanted upheaval. I wanted an imprecatory psalm.
You know, something else, not, whoa, whoa, whoa. So here I am in a very challenging situation, and the only word you can give me is submit? Yeah, Peter's, got, Peter's had this problem, hasn't he, in, in this book? All the way back in chapter, verse 12 of this chapter, he started out by saying, talking about the issue of submission. And then as Tim looked at two weeks ago, when he talked about a relationship with the government, remember what term he used? Submission. Now he's talking about the workplace. You know what he's talking about? Submission. Guess what he's going to talk about next week when you get to the family? Submission. And you're going like, Peter, Peter, no. We're not looking for that. Now, I want to point out a couple things that I think will help us here as, as we kind of work through this. And, and, and maybe, maybe where I need to start, um, because folks have often, I don't know if you can read all that, it was an awful lot to try to get on a slide, so hopefully you can make it out. If not, I'll give you the gist of it. Sometimes in our day, um, and this is just an aside, I've heard people that want to kind of attack the scriptures make this kind of comment. Uh, the writers in the New Testament were wrong because they did not explicitly condemn slavery and call for revolution. And, and you stop for just a moment, you think to yourself, yeah, why didn't they have their own civil war? I mean, our country needed to do that to correct a, a, a terrible, terrible sin in this, in this country. Okay, so we, we, we get, why didn't they do the same kind of thing? And, and I, just, I just want to do a short aside on that. I don't want to spend a bunch of time there, but I, I just think it might be important to, to make a couple comments. So you can see from the slide here, the scenario in the first century was both similar and also very dissimilar from what we experienced in what sometimes is called new world slavery, which, is, which Britain and America were guilty of, okay? And folks, what went on what went on with slavery in this country and in Britain was completely wrong. We should condemn it hands down all the time to do that to another human being. But I want to look at some of the, 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 the differences here. And so you have them up here. Uh, Greco-Roman slavery, the sources were you could be a child of a slave, prisoner of war, criminal, abandoned, or kidnapped. Compare that to New World slavery. Kidnapping of a specific ethnic group often viewed as inferior to another group. They're, they're two very different scenarios, aren't they? In the ancient, in, in, in New World slavery that we were guilty of as a country, you have a certain ethnic group that's identified as inferior that you can put under and make slaves. It's completely wrong. Completely wrong. In the ancient world, most people became slaves early on in the Roman Empire because they were prisoners of war. And rather than killing them, they just made them slaves. And then when they were a kid, they became slaves too. But there were certain times through the Roman Empire, and in the first century it kind of ebbed and flowed, where the idea of you kidnapping somebody who was free and making them a slave was illegal. And Paul explicitly in 1 Timothy 1 condemns the kidnapping of other people. So sometimes when people say, well, 
Paul never made a statement against slavery. That's not true. The kind of slavery that we experienced in this country, Paul explicitly condemns in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Yeah, but what about the other stuff, Doug, that, that goes on? He had a different strategy for going after some of that stuff, okay? But, but that parallel, Paul had no time for. I don't want experience quite, experiences varied on the one side, they were less varied on the other side. That, that just means um, in, in antiquity, you could be a slave and you could actually make money and have a bunch of slaves under you. Wasn't unusual. You could also be in what, working out in agricultural and it could be very, really, really terrible. Yeah, all, it's very varied. In our country, it wasn't varied. They were all subjugated in ways that were completely inappropriate. The ancient world, opportunity to, be, to become free was more likely. You could actually be freed in certain times in Roman history. It would typically happen between the time a person was 30 to 35, 40 years of age. But not the kind of thing we experienced in this country. And lastly, the context was very different. Do you think you could have protested in, in ancient Rome? Could you have gone up to Caesar's house and with signs saying, we take a position against slavery? You could try it, and you're finished. We at least had a system in Britain and in America where you have systems of democracy that eventually can overturn those kinds of things. Rome was totalitarian by this time in the first century. Oh, they said they were a republic. Oh, come on. The, guy, the emperor was the emperor. Come on. And, and, and the other thing is, in, in Rome, slavery was ubiquitous. In other words, it was, every, it was like visa. It was everywhere in the ancient world. Whereas in our country, at least there was a polarization between the north and the south. You see? So what does it mean for the gospel to step into a culture where you have very few resources, direct resources, without being completely smashed. Like, what are you supposed to do in that city? And you know what the gospel does? The gospel implants into the Christian community that when someone comes to faith in Christ, there is no longer slave nor free. And everyone is a brother and sister in Christ. And what happens is over a period of time, the implanting of that idea as to who we really are and what really matters, that will ultimately overturn and subvert the very system itself. It was, just, it was a different way to overturn those kinds of things based on the kind of system that you were actually looking at. So when Peter writes, for him to say, let's revolt, they'd all be dead. It, it would do nothing, except maybe somebody feel good for it. Instead, he has a very different strategy. Within this system, this is what I want you to do. Now, I really like the way the NIV says this. If you have like the ESV or something, your translation probably says something like this in verse 18. Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Is that, do you have something like that? In your, you may have that in your, in your translation. Um, Literally in the Greek, it just says, in fear. And what the NIV has, has 
made the decision on, and I think they're completely correct on this. If I had time, I could prove it to you from First Peter. But, but it's not, he's not saying, submit yourselves um, to your masters, whether they're good or, or, or bad, in a respectful fashion. Now, he's not saying we shouldn't be respectful, but he's not looking at this whole thing horizontally. Submit to them in a respectful fashion, whether they're good or bad. That, that's not what the text says. Here's what the text says. Submit to them, whether they're good or bad, because at the end of the day, you fear God. Do you see the difference? It's the same motivation that's going to come in the next section for, for ladies that are in a difficult family situation. The fear is not moving this direction. The fear is moving this direction. And it's because at the end of the day, Peter is going to tell these folks, listen, whether that master is good or bad, what you are called to do is to see your workplace as a place of worship in which fearing God and reverencing God and focusing on God changes everything. It's a place of worship. Now, do you feel that way sometimes when you go to work? I mean, like you go to work and you're like, oh, this is a great place of worship. No, I'm going like, this feels like anything but worship. No, because all we're looking at is this. And this text is saying, see this in light of this. And all of a sudden, it doesn't make it easy, but it gives you a very different perspective. And what he does in the text is he's going to give us two reasons why we can find ourselves in difficult situations and we're called to submit in appropriate ways. This is not like free where you just do whatever they tell you. You never do anything that is a sin against God, ever. You don't ever stop being a Christian. It doesn't matter who that person is because at the end of the day, you fear him. Do, do you see how that how it shapes everything? But why should I, as much as obedience to Christ will allow, why do I move into that relationship and seek to be submissive and as supportive as I can, whether it's a good or bad master? Or we might say, a good or bad employer. Two reasons. The first reason he gives in verse 19 and 20. Listen to what he says. For it is, com it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Do you know how important that is? He's saying, if you, because you are conscious of God, in other words, God is the center. God is everything. And therefore, when I'm at work, I work hard because that honors God. I, I, I put in the time. I don't steal. I, I, I try to be as supportive as I can be. And as I have opportunities, I talk Jesus because I love Jesus. No, no. It is commendable for those who are conscious of God who is over them. Do you, do you see, see what he means there? It is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because, because they are conscious of God. There you go. But how is it 
How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Do you see the word commendable? Both at the beginning of verse 19 and the end of verse 20. You know what he says? Why should you in that workplace while you are there? And I know we have options in our day to leave and different things. But while we are there, why should we seek to be as kind and supportive and subordinate as obedience to Christ will allow? Because I want to please him. I'm conscious of him. I'm concerned about him. I should reverence him wherever I find myself. He says, look, if you're bad-mouthing your master and you're not doing your work and you're kicking other slaves around and coworkers, it's not at all surprising that you're going to be punished by that, by that master. And folks, if I tell you, come in next Sunday, I say, hey, folks, I've had a really rough week. Really, oh, man. Uh, you know, I don't like the way people are treating me at work. Well, what's going on, Doug? Well, one guy got mad. I, I, I swung and hit him. I just, I mean, it just bugged me. And somebody else, man, I told him where to get off. I'll tell you that much. I used every four-letter word you could possibly imagine. But I feel better after doing it, you know. And, and you know, and I just, I mean, once you say like, and, and then they have the audacity to put me on leave. Can you believe that? Well, yeah, I can kind of believe it, actually. And this text says, look, if you're suffering because of what you're doing that you ought not be doing, don't pat yourself on the back and blame God for it. But if, in reverence to him, of a heart that wants to please him, you see your work as a mission field, as a place of worship. And, and as hard as it is, in the language he uses here of enduring and grief, he doesn't whitewash any of this stuff, folks. It's hard often. It's pressure. It's not comfortable. It's painful. But it's worship. And, 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 and that crucible, that challenging crucible, God does some transformative work in my own life as if the only thing I have left to do is to thank him and depend on him and to find strength in him and to wrestle wisely with what I should say now to this person, recognizing that and being wise and applying that to this situation, I'm going to be wiser for the next situation that comes into my life. I will growl. You see, that Peter is a realist and an optimist at the same time. It's tough. But God is God. And he is over you and he sees. You say, okay, Finkbeiner. Okay, okay, got, sort of got it a little bit. Um, but you know, it still feels a little bit hard. God is over us getting all this glory because he's God. And like, here I am suffering for him down here. I'm trying to have a testimony for him and witness when I can and work hard and da 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 this kind of stuff. And like, and he's up there and I'm down here. It's like, it doesn't seem quite fair sometimes or something, which is a complete misunderstanding of the creature and creator distinction. Okay, I get it. 
But you know what the wonder is of the gospel? God is over us for sure, forever. But the second person of the Trinity became one of us. And God is not only over us, God actually walked among us as the God-man. And went through suffering in a way that I will never go through. To encourage me in very difficult situations. And so his second reason is found there in verse 21 to the end of the chapter. Listen to what he says. I love this. To this you were called, and and again, I wish, I don't know why they don't do this sometimes in the NIV, but, but literally, there should be a, the word for should actually start verse 21. I think it does in the ESV. It doesn't in the NIV. So I love the NIV, but sometimes, anyway, it bugs me a little bit. But anyway, you could literally in verse 21 start with the word for. For, to this you were called. What was I called to? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So it's not just like, taking commands from the God above us. It is that, and that's all we need. That should be all we need. It is also following the example of the God-man who walked before us. And when you put both of those together and you mix that in with the power of the Spirit, folks, we can live as different people. We don't have to live like the world around us. So what did Jesus do? Well, I, I, one thing, if I, you won't mind me pulling back for just a second. And if you do mind, I'm going to do it anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, you may not always pick this up. But in this passage, there's at least six references back to Isaiah 53. Now, there's one explicit one that you see. But the language of Isaiah 53 is all the way through this. And I want you to think about this for a minute. This is so amazing to me. Don't you love Peter who writes this book? Do you remember back in Matthew 16, Mark 8 records the same story where where Jesus is, is unpacking the first prediction of his death, burial, and resurrection. He says, I'm going to suffer and they're going to mistreat me and these things are going to happen and I'm going to die and be buried and resurrect. And Peter says, praise God, we are ready. Is that what Peter says? Not in your life. Peter puts his arm around Jesus and says, not so, Lord. There is no way you're going to go through suffering. It's not going to. Remember what Jesus says to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, there's some real encouraging words. But you know what he's telling them? You're working for the enemy where in reality you're always supposed to be behind me. That's where a follower is supposed to be. So Peter, get back where you're supposed to. And then the next verse in Matthew 16, Jesus says, I want my people to be willing to take up their cross daily and suffer for me. I have given you an example. You see, This was already taught, and Peter, like, completely blew it first time around. Completely blew it. But he got it by the time he wrote this book. 
because he lived it. And now toward the end of his life, as he writes to people, he says, the stuff that I didn't do well at, Jesus told me, and it just completely went over my head. I get it. And I want you to do the same thing. I want you to get what Jesus is teaching us. So this guy has lived it. Didn't live it, lived it, and now he's teaching it. And I can imagine at some point before he writes this book that he's been meditating on Isaiah 53. I mean, those words in Isaiah chapter 53, which are just unpacking the wonder what Christ will do for us when he will bear our sins and, and, and all those things. It's all woven into this passage. Isaiah 53, 9, Isaiah 53, 7, Isaiah 53, 11, and 12, and 4, and 5, and 6. It's all woven into this text. He's so thinking Bible and the wonders of what Jesus did. And when you think of Christ on the cross, the first way you should think of him as what he did on the cross is the foundation of our faith, right? The only reason I have any acceptance with God is not because of me. There is nothing I can do about my sins but try to pay for them for an eternity in hell. That's it. But he has come and died. And the resurrection shows that what he died for is completely successful. And so when I think of what Christ does, foundationally, it has completely transformed my life because he has saved me, he alone. I trust in him. And I pray you have too. But his suffering from Jesus' own teaching and from what we see here in 1 Peter 2, and again, we're going to find in 1 Peter 3. His suffering also becomes an example for us of what we too should do. So his death is the foundation of our faith. It's also a model for how we should live out our faith. And Peter picks up on the second one here in this passage. What's he say? Three things bubble up. Because one thing I know about both you and me None of us are ever completely innocent in a work situation. Are you? I mean, you may say I'm largely innocent. But we're never completely innocent. I mean, I still slip things out that I probably shouldn't have said it that way. Right? I mean, we, we know that. But what if you have somebody who is completely innocent? Look at what he says here in verse 22. And here you have a direct quote from Psalm, I'm sorry, from Isaiah 53, 9. Follow in his steps, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Can you imagine what it was like growing up as a brother of Jesus? That would be, that would be really fresh. I mean, jealousy would be one of the words that would pop up in my head. Wasn't it in yours? Like, he always does the right thing. He never is wrong. He never, you know, it's crazy. When Jesus went to the cross, there was nothing that anybody could point to that he did or said that was ever wrong. Now, they may have said, well, we think it's wrong because it's blasphemy. But before God, 
it was, he was completely innocent. Sometimes at the workplace, you are attacked because you do the right thing. That happens. Happens a lot. So at least in that event, what you do, what you said here was completely right. You took a stand as a Christian because you said I had to. You tried to do it kindly, whatever, and people can completely misunderstand it. That happened to Jesus. But you're not looking at somebody who batted 450. Or even 750. That's a great batting average. I mean, who, who does that? A thousand. Every year for his entire life. That's pretty good. So here he is, the perfect, innocent son of God. And, and for Peter, Isaiah 53 is just kind of just wafting through his mind, just singing it again and again. And so he cites the one verse. On the one hand, Jesus was completely innocent. On the second hand, verse 23, he responded to attack perfectly every time. Look at what he did. When they hurled their insults at him, now, let me not, don't finish the verse. It's you at work. When they hurl their insults at you, maybe for something you've done that's correct, <clears throat> for your Christian testimony, they hurled insults at you. What would you say next in the verse? Let them have it, right? I mean, all kinds of things stir in our head. But what does Jesus do? When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Could he have? He could have called 10,000 angels. You know, when they were putting them on there, he could have said, you guys are really going to get your due very soon. You're doing this to me, me right now. You are going to be damned to hell forever very soon. So you better enjoy your moment because I got you forever. Are you going to, could have said all the, instead, he looks and when he does speak, what does he say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And you've got this thief beside him on the cross. And in Matthew's account, both thieves attack Christ early on while they're on the cross. Both thieves. But Luke tells us that at some point in the midst of all that, this one guy looks at Jesus and says, he's like no other person I've ever seen, even on a cross. And not knowing much theology, he looks over and he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, forget it, pal. You were just yelling at me like this other guy over here and like all these people. No, forget it. I'm dying for the sins of the world, but not yours. <laughs> Do whatever he wants. But he would never have done that. They hurl insults at him. They mock him. They, they do all kinds of things. And, and he does not retaliate. And when he does speak, it's words of hope and comfort. Wow. Jesus, I, it's amazing. 
He doesn't retaliate. When he suffered, he makes no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So that means when things happen that shouldn't happen to us or when they happen to Christ, that God will never deal with those things. Is that what he's saying? No, it's not what he's saying at all. He's saying in the same way that he tells us in Romans chapter 12, when people are coming at you and they're attacking you and you're trying to be a person of peace and share Christ and work hard and do all the things you're supposed to be doing, but they just keep coming at you, coming at you. Don't avenge yourself. Give it to me. I'm God. In my time, in my way, I will bring justice. And Jesus was able to give himself over to the Father as people are mocking him and attacking him and doing everything they're doing as he's dying for the sins of the world. Jesus is able to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Complete trust. Peter is taking what he knows of the cross and Isaiah chapter 53, and he's just doing this. It's amazing. If we had time, we don't. I'd like to go back and just read. Go back and read Isaiah 53. And match up six, seven times, back and forth, back and forth. Peter gets it. And it's just, when he writes Isaiah 53, it's everywhere in this passage. Our wonderful Lord doesn't retaliate, completely innocent, and continues to do the good. Look at what he says in verse uh, 21. I'm sorry. Verse 24. He himself, right out of Isaiah 53 again, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. You know what he says? It's really fascinating. In this passage, he uses three images. The image of going from death to life, the image of going from being sick to healthy, and the image of going from being lost to being reconciled. Again, this comes right out of the teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Christ does the exact same thing. When the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 5 say, why are you eating with, with Matthew and all these sacked sinners and tax collectors? And yeah, and Jesus says, do you know, um, I came for the sinners. I came not for those who think they're healthy, but for those who know they're sick, that I might heal them. And then he gives that classic statement in Luke chapter 15 about a father who embraces a lost son who has defamed his name and done all kinds of things. He embraces that boy and welcomes him home. No, the lost found, the sick healed, the dead alive. Man, that's right out of Christ. It's everywhere. Peter says, the innocent one goes to the cross and as he is attacked, he doesn't retaliate. He entrusts and stays on the cross. 
Do you remember when the religious leaders walked by and somebody said, hey, hey, why don't you come down from the cross and save yourself? And the thieves would say, you can save yourself and us. And here's the bottom line. Christ could not save himself and us at the same time. There had to be a choice. And on the cross of Calvary, he stayed to bear the sins of the world. What's, it, what's that even mean? I have no idea. I mean, you read theologians on it, like people talk, but like nobody knows. He had to be man to represent us. He had to be God to pay it. And somehow on that cross, he bore the sins of the world. You know why? So that you and I could die to sin. Well, Doug, I still struggle with sin. So do I. But I'm no longer under its penalty. And I don't have to live to it as my ultimate authority anymore. So he said, just like Paul says in Romans 6, you are dead to that positionally. So that you can actually now start living a righteous life by the Spirit of God. So Christ on the cross, as he's getting attacked and he's innocent, he still bears our sins that he might do us good by saving us and transforming us. We are completely sick spiritually. We have no hope. And in one fell swoop, we are spiritually healed. It's amazing. We were completely lost. He says here, sheep just gone astray. Isaiah 53, 6. We are sheep that are just gone astray, doing our own thing. We can't find our way home if we wanted to. And the shepherd doesn't just come and find us. The shepherd gives his life so that we could be reconciled to him. I mean, this story is unbelievable, folks. And Peter says, I'm not saying to you that submission is easy, because it's not easy. Submission is not easy. Does anybody here like, I, th I think I've said it here before, but like, if, if we say, hey, three weeks, we're going to have a conference on, you know, Christian leaderships, making an impact in the world. Yeah, I think we get people coming out the week after. We're going to have one on Christian submission, how to stay under when, when everybody's doing you wrong. I don't know. Maybe people would come because that part kind of gets them. But if it's just like how to learn to submit, I know nobody's coming to that one. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, who wants to come to that? But Peter says, we do it to God. A good conscience toward him. It's an act of worship. I'm on a mission for him. And I think about his beloved son. So at the end of the day, you and I can submit to employers over us because of God's design for us. And at the end of the day, because of Christ's example for us. Um, we were driving up this morning, my wife and I, we were just talking about some of my own experiences in the workplace. 
And um, I was thinking, this goes back to the 90s. Um, Tim and I have talked often about the seminary we went to, Calvary Baptist Seminary, and it was great education, really good stuff. <clears throat> well, they ended up hiring me, believe it or not, um, back in the late 90s. And, uh, and all I can say is when I, when I came in as a young guy there, um, for a variety of reasons, there was people there that did not warmly embrace me, okay? I'll, I'll just maybe say it like that, some people. <laughs> And part of it probably is because, you know, I can be pretty passionate about things, and, and there was ideas that I thought would really make things better, and um, not everybody shared some of my passion um, and so forth. Although, we've often talked about this, within six years, all that stuff we were doing. So, but I was just a couple years too early, I guess. I don't know, whatever. And, and there was a series of things that went on behind my back that I didn't even know about. And like at one point, I was supposed to go away to Trinity Divinity School, have the whole thing paid for, and I'd come back and teach in the seminary. And we were all ready to go. It was summertime. And, and we were going in the fall. I was taking German and all the stuff, you know. Somebody in the seminary came and said, we changed our mind. We're not going to do any of that with you now. You're kind of on your own. I was a pastor in the church at the point. And, uh, and when I heard why, I don't even know that I would, I don't even know that I want to share some of the reasons, but you would laugh that they're so silly in my opinion. I'll tell you, I'll give you two, okay? It was a pretty strong fundamental church at that point. And when some individuals found that I actually like to go to contemporary Christian, Christian concerts, like with Steve Green, who's like really conservative, they couldn't believe it. They think like, what is up with Finkbeiner? And the fact that I would go to movies. Now, I think it's important what movie you go to. Honestly, we all would consider that for sure. But just gone into a movie theater? There was enough pushback from other people that said, like, we cannot have Finkbeiner around here. I went home and told my wife. I said, well, honey, I'm not going to stay around here any longer. I just, I'm not going to stay as a pastor here either because if that's the way people feel in the seminary, I'm out of here. Um, and then things changed, and I ended up going into the seminary because of the guy at the top who wanted me, and so I went in, and, and then there was people still upset with me over those other kinds of things, and I, and I just remember telling my wife, like, I, I don't know how many times, Sharon, I would talk, I'd say, honey, this may be my last year, but pray for me, because what I want to do is I want to be kind, and I want to be honest, and I want to do my best, and I might lose my job. I don't know. Like, that went on for a couple years. But they kept keeping me on. And then the whole leadership changed in the seminary, and it was like heaven until the seminary disbanded in 2014. I mean, it was the best. It was the best. But I've often thought back to those early years. And if I'm going to remain... I must remain with the right attitude. Folks, I would tell you the same. Wherever you find yourself to remain there disgruntled and angry and vindictive and subversive and whatever else is completely wrong. You can't do it. I'm not saying you're not hurt. Please don't hear me saying that. I get that. But as a Christian... 
it's not right to be unchristian with non-Christians, ever, as hard as it is. So while you're there, our prayers to God always have to be, God, you've got my back. God, help me. God, I'm dependent on you. Help me to work hard, be kind, and be as submissive as obedience to Christ will allow. And the other thing I would tell you, open your Bible up to Isaiah 53. Go back and read the Gospels. Read this passage. Think much about Christ. And allow the wonder of what our Lord has done for us to seep into your parched soul. And in time, God will do a work from the inside out. I mean, that's what, that's what his truth does, folks. You know what I love about that? There is no place you are in life that's a holding pattern or wasted time. God is there at every point doing something because he's the God who is for you in the person of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. So I don't know what your work situation is like. Maybe after the service, you want to talk to us about it. Tim and I, I'm normally out there. Tim's up here. We are more than happy to talk to you about it. There's so many brothers and sisters in Christ that would love to embrace you and talk about it. We have so many mature Christians. You don't even need to look for us. There's all kinds of people you can look for. But if you're struggling with perspective and wisdom and how to proceed and what to say and those kinds of things, talk to somebody. Let somebody pray with you. Let them help you. Because Peter is saying at the end of the day, if you live this way, for all eternity, you will thank God you did. Because this is true life. Father, your word is so relevant, sometimes it scares us and it certainly makes us uncomfortable. We, we, we chafe with this word submission. That just, that sounds like a, an oppressive term from some oppressive overlord or something. The problem is it's from you. The question is, who is bigger, that employer or you? Who is kinder? but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may the wonder of the God who is over us and the God-man who has walked among us, may that change all of our relationships, Lord, beginning with the workplace. In Christ's name I pray, amen. the Savior say, I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness watch and pray, find in me thine all in
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed, Lord, now indeed I find Thy power and Thine alone Can change the leper's spots And melt the heart of stone Jesus paid Jesus paid it all All to Him I Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne, stand in him complete Jesus died my soul to save my lips shall still repeat Jesus paid Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he left. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He washed. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed. 
still white as snow Cause Jesus paid it all All to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that that is true, that you did pay it all on the cross for your glory first and foremost, but also for our gain, that we might have a relationship with you. Thank you for that truth this morning, Lord. Um, thank you for your message through Doug as well on our influence in the workplace and how great it can be. Um, and by our influence, I mean your influence. God, I just ask this morning that you would help us to be better um, moons to your son in regards to your glory. Help us to be so infatuated with your glory and your awesomeness for what you've done for us in Christ that we would just be better vessels for your grace in our sphere of influence primarily as we talk this morning about our, uh, our places of work, God. So uh, just thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for your word. And uh, we ask that you bless us as we go. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.